Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 6 of The Beauty of Holy Choices, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In 2015, I wrote a book titled The Beauty of Holy Choices, which examines people from the Bible who pleased God by making a hard decision in a difficult circumstance. Each of the 12 chapters is a standalone story, and they're all woven together by their emphasis on holiness, arranged in the order in which they appear in Scripture. Each unit ends with clear application to today's Christian walk and a challenge to the reader. This sixth installment is entitled, Ruth Cares for Her Widowed Mother-in-Law. All Scripture is taken from the NIV. After Moses brought the people to the edge of the Promised Land, he bequeathed his position of leadership to the man he mentored, Joshua, and then he died. Joshua helped the nation conquer the wicked, idolatrous peoples living in Canaan. After Joshua's death, Israel began a period of about 400 years in which their rulers were judges, as though the chief justice of the Supreme Court was the head of the government. These judges were periodically raised up by God to nudge a backslidden people to return to obeying the law. But when they died, sin came to the fore again. About 146 years or so into the so-called Age of the Judges, famine came to a small town known as Bethlehem, or the House of Bread. A Bethlehemite named Elimelech and his wife decided that times were just too hard there, so they asked around and heard that back east, in the land of Moab, people had plenty to eat. Moab was the last place the Israelites stopped before they came to their promised land and was the burial place of Moses, as you can read in Deuteronomy 34, 4-8. The Moabites were descendants of the incestuous relationship of Abraham's nephew Lot with his very own daughter, which is recorded in Genesis 19, 36-8. And Moabites worshipped idols, but at least they weren't hungry at that time, so Elimelech and Naomi took their boys and hit the road. While they were there in Moab, the sons married local women. Then tragedy came to the family. One by one, all three men died, first Elimelech himself and then his two sons. The Bible doesn't say how they passed away, but Naomi's life was filled with grief that only an unfortunate few today can imagine. By this time, the famine in Bethlehem had subsided, and Naomi had some critical decisions to make about how to support herself and her daughters-in-law in the future. She packed them up and planned to return home when it struck her that perhaps the girls would be better off remaining in their home country. After all, Jewish law would make it difficult for a Moabite widow to have any kind of future in Israel. Deuteronomy 23, 3-6 says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam son of Beor from Pethor in Aram Naharaim to pronounce a curse on you. 
However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Whether Naomi mentioned the reception the widows might expect back in Judah is not divulged. However, she overcame any selfish impulse to keep her daughters-in-law with her for the sake of companionship and urged them to turn around and head for their parents' homes. Ruth 1, 8-10 says, Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Naomi must have been quite a woman. These girls preferred to live with her even after their husbands were dead rather than return to their people, culture, and birth families. She must have treated them with great kindness and respect. Her investment in the relationship had sure netted their return affection for her. Ruth 1, 11 through 13 says, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi didn't have much prospect for a happy future back home but she'd rather forego the companionship of her beloved daughters-in-law than subject them to a future without marriage and children like the one she now faced. But one of the daughters-in-law was having nothing of it. Ruth 1, 16-18 But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth loved Naomi so much that she refused to live without her. Ruth put her foot down and stated once and forever her intentions to stay with Naomi for the rest of her life. This famous decree of fidelity is so absolute that it makes a lovely reading at weddings. It's often the page to which the Bible is turned as a backdrop for a wedding photo of a couple's hands wearing their rings. Back in Bethlehem, Naomi was none too chipper. As she encountered people she hadn't seen in years, her response to their greetings was depressing. Ruth 1, 19-21 says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Ruth took the situation in stride, though. 
and began to think practically. Since Jewish law allowed the poor to go behind reapers and take what they had missed or dropped, Ruth immediately employed herself in this low-wage and demeaning job so she could put food on the table for her mom. Ruth 2, 2 and 3 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Like the wording there, as it turned out, she found herself, the Lord left nothing to chance for this faithful and godly Moabite-turned-Israelite convert. God did allow her beloved husband to pass away, and that was hard to understand, but he hadn't abandoned her, and he had a plan. Ruth 2, 8 and 9. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled the rich boss of the land in this hostile to Moabites country pronounced a blessing on hard-working Ruth. Perhaps even he didn't realize that he spoke in the office of a prophet when he said those words, Ruth was to be blessed indeed. As the days went by and Ruth kept the wolf from the door of her home by working as a farm laborer, Naomi again showed her concern for her adopted daughter in fact, she came up with a plan that resulted in Ruth's engagement to her single wealthy boss who was by chance a part of Naomi's extended family by marriage. Ruth 3, 1 through 6 and 10 and 11. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Ruth was gutsy to follow through in obedience to the suggestions Naomi made, but everything paid off when Boaz agreed to marry her. The result was a happily ever after ending that even superseded a fairy tale, Ruth 4, 11 through 17. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. 
Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Not even the most generous prediction could have placed this Moabite woman in the genealogy of the Messiah himself. Not only is Ruth listed as the great-grandmother of King David in the Old Testament, but the Gospel of Matthew specifically mentions her as an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 1 through 6, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It starts out, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. And then you go down and verse 5 says, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Did you catch that? Whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Ruth's commitment was such an act of holiness that it stands to inspire Christians now. Both her words and her deeds demonstrated without contradiction that she was with Naomi for the long haul. And when life calls for commitment today, in a marriage, in a parent-child relationship, in the body of Christ, or in a friendship, that same spirit of complete commitment will set you up for a harvest of blessing. Ruth's famous and simple verbal affirmation to Naomi contains seven statements of commitment. One, never leave you. Two, go with you. Three, stay with you. Four, embrace your people. Five, embrace your God. Six, die where you die. And seven, be buried where you are buried. If you want to be a part of the people of God today, the body of Christ, you will need each of these seven parts of commitment as you walk with Him. Tell Him in prayer that one, you will not forsake your faith. Two, you will go where He leads. Three, you will stay with Him through thick and thin. Four, you will embrace other Christians even when they aren't so easy to love. Five, you will embrace Him as Lord of your life. Six, you will carry your commitment to your deathbed. And seven, you will trust your soul to him beyond the grave. Words are powerful, and they can really change things. If you've been on the fence as a Christian, sort of sampling a walk of faith without really getting in all the way, let this be the day of new beginnings. Make your commitment to Christ a total one, not just in heart, but in words. Use Ruth's example as a template and tell the Lord you are always going to be His, 
it will change your life forever. After Ruth told Naomi what her intentions were for the future, she backed it up with three main deeds. First, Ruth forsake all others. First, Ruth forsook all others. That wasn't always real pleasant either. When she arrived in Bethlehem, she was a foreigner from an idolatrous land. She didn't know a soul except Naomi, and her future presumably was bleak. But Ruth plugged ahead because she had on blinders. Her life was with Naomi, and that was final. The Christian should approach a walk with Jesus in the same way. It is such a blessed privilege to stay with him that it simply doesn't matter if the world sees us as a stranger or stigmatized. It doesn't matter if those around us don't have much in common with us or if they think our lives hold little hope of fun or fulfillment. We just plug ahead and we put on blinders. Eternity with Christ is our destiny and we are moving toward our beloved. Second, Ruth worked hard to provide for her mother-in-law. She didn't expect her commitment to Naomi to afford her ease or luxury, even though it eventually did just that. She got up in the morning and braced herself for a lot of back-breaking effort. There was nothing lazy about Ruth, and there can be nothing lazy about Christ's committed followers now. Living for Him necessarily means working for Him. You don't have the luxury of deciding whether or not to get involved in the local church. As a part of the Bride of Christ, you simply must. Find a place where you can work. Roll up your sleeves and get after it. Make a real effort and expect to keep going. You're not His just to sit around and soak up resources. He'll provide, but He expects you to do your part. Third, Ruth trusted Naomi so much that she submitted to her in complete obedience, even when it put her out of a safe comfort zone. Going to the threshing floor to sneak up on her rich boss in the middle of the night must have been terrifying. What would people think she was doing if they saw? What if Naomi was all wrong about the possibility of a marriage? What if Boaz yelled at her and banned her from gleaning in his fields after that? But Ruth's love for and commitment to Naomi extended to confidence in Naomi's judgment and ability to steer their future together. Just as she had trusted Naomi to resettle the two of them in Bethlehem, she trusted her now to direct actions that were bold and out of the box. Can you trust the one to whom you've committed? Let me reassure you that God can be trusted when things aren't going right in your life, He can be trusted to get you through, stand by you, comfort you, give you wisdom, and bring something good out of it. Trust Him, submit to His wishes, take a risk, and humble yourself before Him. If He lays it on your heart to fast, trust Him and do it. If He lays it on your heart to witness to someone, trust Him and do it. If He lays it on your heart to apologize or make peace with someone, trust Him and do it. Get the point? Take a risk, humble yourself, and submit. Ruth's holy choices could not have paid off bigger. You'll find the same to be true in your own life. You may not marry a rich spouse, and you won't become an ancestor of the Messiah, but if you will make a complete commitment to Christ, 
and follow through for the rest of your life, you will be brought to a place where God can so bless you that you may not have room to receive it. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, pass it along.